Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. This is our battle posture. How many know that there is a posture for battle? That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about our battle posture, what it looks like for a warrior. How many of you know that you are a warrior, that God has chosen you to be a warrior, whether you're a man or a woman? Come on. You know what I'm saying? You are a warrior for God. And uh, in Israel, ancient Israel, um, we, we talk about Israel, we automatically start thinking about things like, you know, the nation now. We, we think about King David. We think about our, basically our foundings as Christianity is all rooted in Judaism. How do you know, how many know that? Yeah. Right, right, right. With, uh, with the Jews, with Israel, which is God's chosen people. So in Israel, before kings, before the day of kings, there were these guys that were established that were called judges. Everybody say judges. And there's a whole book in the Bible called Judges, and that's what it's about. It's not like the judges that we have now where you go in and it's a civil court, but these guys were there to execute God's justice on the earth. There was no kings. There was no order. And so scriptures tells us this later in the book of Judges. It says that uh, that people did what was right in their own eyes. So everybody's just kind of like running around. There was just no real order to things. So God would raise up these men and women named called judges. And what judges were there is they were there to institute and establish justice. Okay. They were the ones that were establishing what was right and what was wrong. And I'm not going to tell you all the stories of all the judges. I would encourage you, if you want to read a book of the Bible that would make a really good movie, that would not, that would be like NC-17, um, you need to go read the book of Judges. I would really like to see a good uh, uh, film, uh, you know, interpretation of this book. And what we see is, you know, all these kind of crazy stories. So I'm not going to go into the stories about this guy named Ehud that that basically stabbed a king, and the king was so fat that the, the knife got swallowed up in his belly. And I'm not going to talk about Jael and how he went to another king, and he drove a, a tent spike through his head with a hammer. I'm not going to tell you all the stories of, of Samson. We, we're familiar with all those great stories, and I would encourage you again. But today I want to focus on a judge named Gideon. Everybody say Gideon. Now, Gideon's story mostly is in Judges chapter 6 and Judges chapter 7. Love the story of Gideon, and that's what we're going to share from today. Um, Now, Israel had this habit, kind of like many of us today, where they would go back and forth with their relationship with God. They were in and out, man. They were so wishy-washy. They would, they would, they would uh, love God, and they would do, you know, just serve the Lord and worship the Lord. And then they would kind of, their hearts would drift, and then all this judgment would start coming on them, and they, they would begin to see uh, oppression by other nations. All this kind of stuff would start happening. And then as that began to happen, then they would go, oh, Lord, we need you. <laughs> we need you to come and rescue us. And they would cry out to the Lord, and they'd get their hearts right, and God would come in, and he'd bless them, and he'd fix it. And then after everything got really good, then they would kind of go off over here and they'd start drifting again. And so here was Israel back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And because of their their wickedness at this point in Judges chapter 6, they were oppressed by this nation named Midian. And um, they were terrified. They were impoverished. Scripture tells us that they were living in caves. Their crops were being destroyed. They were basically in hiding. They were, they were slaves, man. Life was just rough if you were a Jew at this time. And it says this in Judges chapter 6. It says, when they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, because of their oppression, the Lord sent a prophet 
Mm. Come on. How I many you know that, that many times God wants to bring somebody into your life with a word? And that's what a prophet is. Now, a prophet is more than that, but a prophet represents the word of the Lord. Someone bringing what God is saying. Are you with me? And many times when we call out to the Lord, he will send the package of his word in somebody. Sometimes he'll give you a scripture, but oftentimes he'll send somebody into your life to speak into your life. Now, sometimes, (laughs) sometimes that might not be a package that we necessarily like. Sometimes God will send somebody we don't like to tell us what we need to hear. So just because you don't like the FedEx guy doesn't mean that the package isn't legit. So to the Israelites, he said, this is what the Lord, the, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out. Everybody say up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians. You guys remember this, the story of Moses? From all who oppressed you, I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites and those whose lands you live now. So what had happened is they began to worship the the gods that this foreign nation that was oppressing them, they began to worship the gods that everybody else was worshiping. How many know that you were you were created to worship? but not worship the God that everybody in culture is bowing down to. God said, I rescued from that. Do you, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten the command? You must not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. Uh-oh. How many know that that's when we get into trouble, when we don't listen? And then we go, well, Lord, why are you not good to me? And he's like, I am good to you. You just didn't listen. Then, so God sends a prophet, then the angel of the Lord came. Now, many times, you got to understand this, many times in scripture, when it says the angel of the Lord, most believe, most believe that this is actually Jesus showing up on the scene. Angel just means messenger. Are you with me? So we, we read angel many times. We think, you know, wings and cherubs and seraphim, all this kind of stuff. But the angel of the Lord, and we see that this was actually the Lord representing himself here with the with, with, uh, with Gideon. And so the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Ophrah, right? Ophrah, which belonged to Joash in the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. So get this. Here he is, Gideon, in a winepress, a place where you make wine because it's hidden, because it's concealed, and he's threshing wheat. Now, you don't thresh wheat in wine presses. Why was he in a wine press? Because he was hiding. Because that was a place where he wouldn't be seen. Remember, they were under oppression. All the grain, all this kind of stuff was getting robbed from them. Their crops were being destroyed. So he was saying, well, if I can go in here and hiding, right, and and thresh a little wheat, then we can keep the wheat and they won't know about it. Are you with me? So it said, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, get this. He's hiding, hiding, threshing wheat, God shows up and he says, mighty warrior, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. I'm here. I'm with you. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm Gideon and I'm hiding, I probably don't feel too mighty. I probably feel pretty weak. I don't, we don't know a whole lot about Gideon's history, but we do know that God sees something in this man, a man that is fearful, a man that is hiding. God saw potential. God saw a warrior and a man who was running. 
In verse 13, Sir Gideon said, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And we know why, because they didn't listen. And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Don't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. And the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength that you have. Everybody say, go with what you got. And rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Go with what you got. See, some of you are waiting to be at a point of strength before you move out into what the Lord has called you into. But God wants to go, you to go now that he may glorify you and he may strengthen you as you go out through this process. He says, I'm sending you. I'm sending you now. I'm not sending you when you're stronger. I'm not sending you when you can branch, bench 250. I'm sending you when you can't bench anything but the bar. And as you go and as you move forward, you will get stronger. But Lord, <laughs> right? Come on. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. And I am the least of my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you. And you will destroy the Midianites. Not because you're strong, but because I'm strong. And I'll be with you. As if you were fighting, I love this, as if you were fighting against one man. So Gideon has this problem, this issue, right? We don't like to call them problems. We like to call them issues. Gideon has this issue with insecurity. He's very insecure. He's hiding out. God comes to him. He says, God, I'm, I, I just don't got it all together. I'm the weak tribe. I'm not really a warrior. I, I hear what you're saying, but that's just not reality, God. I know better than you do, right? I know who I am. I'm not very strong. So Gideon also battles this thing that we call fear. By the way, fear is sin. It's sin to live in fear. Are you with me? To live in fear. It's not, it's not, fe- it's not sin to, to have a fear, but it's a sin to live in fear because you can't live in fear and live in trust at the same time, right? So Gideon asked the Lord for some confirmation, and the Lord gives it. And he does it again and again and again as we'll read through the story. So he asked the Lord for some confirmation, and there's this exchange about sacrifice. And then, then the Lord commands him. This is what God tells him to do. He says, Gideon, what I want you to do is I want you to go and destroy. Are you guys tracking with me? I want you to destroy all the idols that your people have, that my people have set up. So what's ha- what happened? They, again, remember, they were started worshiping all these idols. So God says, this is your first mission. Before we destroy your enemies... I want you to get rid of the sin issue, right? So many times we want God to destroy our enemies and keep our idols. God's saying, I want you to destroy the idols, and then I'm going to give you your enemies. So they go in, Gideon goes in, and he destroys all these idols. He burns them up. The people get mad at him. I'm going to skip a lot of that story. And then God re-identifies Gideon as Jerubbaal. Okay, he gives him a new name, and that name means he who contends with Baal, because Baal was the main god that was worshipped at the time. So here's, I'm changing your name from Gideon to Jerobel, because you contend with the idols of this age, because you are a threat to the idols of this age. 
So they have this incredible encounter, and he does this, and the people are like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm trying to get us right with God. And everybody misunderstands him. And it says this in Judges chapter 6. Now, how many know that there's still a battle? God says, the Midianites, I'm going to give it to you. So he goes and he destroys all that. It says this, that Judges chapter 6, verse 34, it says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. The, the NLT says it this way. It says, the Spirit of the Lord possessed him. Hmm. I'll take it. It says, the Spirit of the Lord possessed him, and he blew a trumpet. Oh, come on. All the musicians, yeah. Come on. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizarites to follow him. Now, now these were the people, this was the tribe that he came from. These were the people. Now, that, that name means, the, the Abizarites means father of help. Father of help. So these were his forefathers. This was his clan. When, he, when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, this weak tribe, remember that's what Gideon said, this weak tribe, he blew his trumpet, and then all his family, all his crew comes around him. And then he amasses this army, check it out, an army of 32,000 men. Because the Spirit of the Lord possessed him. Now, we think that's a lot. 32,000 men is a lot of men. I mean, that's a pretty good army in ancient Israel. However, Midian could not be numbered. It said that they had more, more, uh, more people than sand on the seashore. It says that they were like locusts on the land. You couldn't number them. They were just, the land was covered with them. So he's like, okay, I know our odds aren't very good. It's something like four to one. I know our odds aren't very good, but they're not too bad. And we got the Lord. So he tells the Lord, all right, God, this is good. We got 32,000 men. That's pretty good. I think we stand a pretty good chance. But before we go into battle, I want to do something. I, I want to put a fleece before you. Now, many of y'all have heard this story. And so, so he says, well, I'm going to put this, this cloth outside. I'm going to set it outside. And when I come out in the morning, I want the, the ground to be around the cloth wet and the cloth be dry. So the Lord answers him. And then he goes, he goes, okay, Lord, uh, I'm a little scared here. I'm scared of you. I'm scared of this scenario. But now what I want is I want the cloth to be wet and the ground to be dry. Right? We call those Gideon's fleece. It was a fleece. So he goes in, sleeps, wakes up the next morning, and exactly what he asked for. So God was confirming. Now, what many people have done is they've taken this story and they act like Gideon has sinned. But do, will you look that God said, God never said anything that Gideon shouldn't do that. God never rebuked Gideon for putting a fleece out there. But we've kind of made it like, if you need a fleece, that you're somehow less warrior-like. That you're incapable, that you have doubt issues. It's interesting to note that God wasn't bothered by his need for this confirmation anytime. In fact, he, he places a type of fleece before the Lord three different times. God wasn't bothered Every time. See, God is not bothered by our need for clarity. And it is important, beloved. Listen, it is important and it is okay for you to tell the Lord, Lord, I need a confirming word. I need some courage. I need to know, God, that this is really what you're telling me to do. Are you okay? God wants to assure his people. He wants to comfort you. He doesn't, he doesn't want you to have this like, faith that is like so disconnected. Are you with me? 
And sometimes we, we feel like that we're more spiritual if we can move forward with nothing to hang our hat on. Well, I'm so spiritual. I just, I just heard the Lord, and I knew it was God, and I ran with it. Man, I can tell you, I've never been that sure when God spoke to me. Never. I've asked the Lord many times, Lord, would you just confirm this? Like, I, I believe, but you need to help my unbelief. And you know what God does? He helps it. Because what he's, listen, what he's interested in is you put in confidence in him. Not in yourself, not in your own faith, not in your own strength, but putting your confidence in. So even though Gideon was putting a fleece out before the Lord, he was putting it out before the Lord. And it's important to remember that. So God's not bothered for your need of clarity. It's okay. It's okay to ask the Lord those things. Now, there's a difference between testing the Lord, come on, right? And asking the Lord for confirmation and clarity. If you feel like God has asked you to do something in your life, it's actually wisdom, or you feel like God's put something in your heart, it's actually wisdom for you to seek some things out and say, is the Lord really saying this? And so here's, here's Gideon with this weight. You know, we kind of, oh, don't put fleeces before the Lord. Don't put, you're putting a fleece before the Lord. Absolutely I am. Because the weight of which, of that which God is calling me to is very heavy. I mean, you got to understand, this is the, the whole nation. A whole nation is upon this man's shoulders to win this battle. So he's like, Lord, if this is what you want, then I need to know that this is really what you want. And so God helps him. How many know that God is a helper to you? He isn't leaving you alone. Judges chapter 7, verse 2. So this experience happens. He gets the confirmation he needs. Then the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. Thanks for the confirmation, Lord, but uh, I'm going to need some more, (laughs) right? If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. You'll get prideful once again. Therefore, tell the people, whoever's timid and afraid, May leave this mountain and go home. So he goes to this army, 32,000 people. He says, hey, if you're scared, you can go home. And check this out. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. Whoops. (laughs) Right? A third of what he had. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Oh, Lord. Come on, Lord. Right? Lord, come on. But the Lord told Gideon, there's still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. And when Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. And one group put all those who cup the water in their hands and lap it with their tongues like a dog, and the other group put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths to the stream. Are you guys getting this picture? So he's like, there's going to be two groups. There's going to be some that cup up the water and lap it like a dog, right? Right? Fido, or whatever your dog's name is. I know most of y'all have human names for your dog. Is he weirdo? (laughs) And then there's other ones that they won't cup. They won't keep their head up. They'll actually just get down on their hands and knees and stick their face in the water. I want you to divide those into two different camps. Only 300 of the men who drank from their hands, 
All the others got down on their knees and drank of their mouths to the stream. And the Lord told Gideon with these 300, the 300 that lapped like a dog, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. 300. This is probably where they got the inspiration for that movie, 300. 32,000 to 300. But Gideon had something. He had a word from the Lord. He had a confirmed word for the Lord. But it's important to remember that God prunes his militia. Now, this this can be the people. Jesus talks about that. They all separate the wheat from the chaff. Come on. But I believe that God wants to prune us as individuals. That God wants to prune us for battle. That he wants to get rid of the things that would mess us up when it's battle time. And many times we look at when God does something like this as a punishment. That God is punishing me, so he's taking things out of my life. God, pruning is not punishment. Are you with me? Pruning is not rejection, it's affirmation. It says in Hebrews that God actually, if, if God doesn't discipline you, right? If God doesn't correct you, then he's not treating you like sons. So God is coming in and he's saying, listen, I want you to straighten up. I want you to fix this area in your life. I want you to trim this off because I'm creating you to be the warrior that you were destined to be. So God prunes his militia. He straightens us up. He cuts the fat off. And that's not comfortable. Uh, Bill Johnson says it this way. He says, God rewards growth with pruning. And it teaches this in John chapter 15. See, God is cutting out the things in your life. He is cutting out things in your life because he is preparing you for victory. He's preparing you for the overcoming life. And so when, when things are, are, are coming off and relationships are leaving, come on. Sometimes, beloved, listen, sometimes when, the, when, the, when there's less money in the bank account, God's preparing you for battle. Now, God is, God is not a taker in that sense. God is preparing you. Maybe he's preparing you to be more diligent. It's important to understand as we go through the seasons of life that some things will be taken away. Some things will be cut off. Not because God doesn't want to bless you. It's because he does want to bless you. But those things in your life are hindering you from walking in God's blessing. Pruning is not fun. And what you might call setbacks are really just setups. See, in the kingdom, setbacks are always setups. So how many of y'all have experienced some, set, some setbacks lately? I'm telling you, God is setting you up. In fact, take this to the bank. If you feel like you're in a setback, it's just because God is setting you up. And God is not setting you up to be defeated. God is setting you up for victory. To show his, to show his power. Not to show how strong. Listen, you've got to understand that the pruning is really not about you. In fact, it's, if you go back and listen to last week's message, it's about getting rid of you so God can be more glorified in your life. Mm. So the, the two things that we see here that God was pruning, first he was pruning fear. If you want to go home, go home. 
right? And then he was pruning foolishness. Because how good of a soldier can you, go, can you be if you go just throw yourself in the water and keep your face down? God wants those that will keep their head up. Those that are alert. Those that don't just keep their face to the water. Are y'all okay? So this is your battle posture. Number one, courage. Look at your neighbor and say, be strong and have courage. See, I love it how Gideon just goes and says, if you want to go home, go home. If you don't want any part, just go home. And that's what they did. If you're scared, go home. But only 10,000 said, count me in. See, courage, and get this, beloved. Courage doesn't mean that you don't have any fear that you have to face. Listen, every battle is scary, but are you willing to trust the Lord? So you can go home, or you can transform history. But you can't do both. Courage doesn't mean that we don't have fears. It means that we're willing to face them. Let me say that again. Courage doesn't mean that we don't have fear. It means, fears, it means that we're willing to face them. Uh, Dorothy Bernard said this, courage is fear that has said its prayers. Every battle is scary. Every battle you face is going to be scary. But will you still face the battle? You can go home or you can face the battle. You can go back and, and, and deal with things just like they've always been. Under oppression. Come on. Impoverished, subdued, defeated. You can just go home and you can just continue that way or you can join the battle. Second Timothy 1.6. Paul speaking to his protege, right? his son in the faith, who's pastoring a church, young man. He says, I remind you. I remind you. Why is he reminding him? Because he needs it. I remind you, Timothy, to fan into the flame, to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Remember when I come and I laid hands on you and I ordain you to lead this congregation? Young pastor Timothy, remember when we laid hands on you and we said, you're the pastor now, we're praying for you, here it goes. Remember when we gave you those spiritual gifts? Remember when we prayed for you and the Holy Spirit filled your life? You remember that? Stir that up. Go in the strength that you have. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline, or of a sound mind. Power, what's he talking about? He's talking about that boom power. Remember boom power? That's that dunamis. That power that you get from the gift of the Holy Spirit. You don't have a spirit of fear. You don't have a spirit of timidity. You have a spirit of boom power. Right? Come on. You have a spirit of love, that agape love. Perfect love drives out fear. Don't be scared. You got love in you. You got power in you. You got love in you. And you have a sound mind. You have self-discipline. What's he talking about there? He's talking about number two, readiness. So he had to get rid of these other, how, how many is that? 9,700 soldiers 
by the way that they drank water. Why? Because some of them had a sound mind and some of them didn't. Some of them remained alert and ready and the others did not. They were foolish. Remember David when he fell? It says this. It says that in the springtime, when kings go off to war, David stayed home. He wasn't ready. Beloved, it is imperative that we stay ready. Look at your neighbor and say, stay ready. Stay ready. Listen, it's important to remember the enemy's tactics. In fact, it's imperative that we're aware of the enemy's tactics. It's imperative that we understand that he will use intimidation, fear, that he will use deception, that he will use manipulation. Listen, he'll do that in your family. Deception, manipulation, accusation. Beloved, did you know that when you accuse someone, that you are functioning in the spirit of the devil, not in the spirit of God when you accuse someone? That is not the spirit of God. (laughs) Stop doing that. If you try to use intimidation, if you try to manipulate, that is the spirit of the devil. That's why Jesus told Peter that. Get behind me, Satan. Why? Because he did not have on the mind of God. We talked about that. He will use humiliation. He will use shame. These are the tactics of the devil. God doesn't use deception, intimidation, manipulation, accusation, and humiliation. That's not what he does. He uses affirmation. He uses confirmation. This is how he treats his kids. Let me tell you, one way to know, is that God or the devil say, would a good father do that? Well, God just gave me cancer. Would a good father do that? No, he'll, he'll prune that cancer. And the other thing that the enemy will always do is he will always question God. Did God really say that? That was the first thing that he said. Did God really say? Did he really say if you ate that? Trying to manipulate? Stupid. He will always question God's power. He will always question God's provision. He will always question God's goodness. Listen, God is good. And anything that will come and question that is of the enemy. But listen, we don't, we do need to be aware of the enemy's tactics. Absolutely. But the best way for you to be ready is to heighten our awareness of the voice of God so it will be easy to know when the devil is speaking. Because many times people attribute to the devil, to, to God, what the devil is doing. Well, God did that. God made you feel that way. God made you feel shameful. God made you sick. I hear a lot of people listening to the devil and blaming it on the Holy Spirit. Beloved, read it. You say, well, how do I know the voice of God? You have a whole Bible right there to learn the way that God speaks. Get in that word until the word gets into you, until you get so familiar with it. So when God speaks... You go, that sounds like something God would say. Because I'm familiar with the way that God talks. First Peter chapter 5. <laughs> so good. 
Cast all your anxiety. <laughs> Back to that fear thing. I'll cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Then he says this. Be self-controlled and alert. Or be sober and be vigilant. 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 You can be vigilant too, but be vigilant. <laughs> if I was being sober, I would have been vigilant. Be self-controlled and alert. Be sober and vigilant. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. Then he says this, resist him standing firm in the faith. So he says this, wake up, be alert, be ready. The devil wants to take you out. How often? All the time. In fact, the more that you want to do for God, the more opposition the devil is going to present to you. Stand firm and resist him. If it's too easy, maybe you're not at battle with him. So stay sober. Sober-minded. Be ready. Get your face out of the water and pay attention. And number three is willingness. Everybody say willing. Are you willing? Really, this whole story is about this one thing. It's about willingness. It's about the willingness of Gideon to say, oh, man, God showed up and he spoke to me. I'm willing. I need some help here, God. All right, I'll give you the help you need. I'm willing. Oh, it's so scary. I'm willing. He was willing. But it wasn't just the willingness of Gideon. It was also the, the willingness of the 300. See, I believe that all those other soldiers, those other 20, what is it, 2,900 soldiers, or is it more than that? All those other ones were, would have weakened them at the battle lines because they weren't willing. They weren't willing to go to battle. They weren't willing to stay alert and stay ready. So 300 willing soldiers were more powerful than the other 30,000. Crazy. So the story says this. I'll just read it to get through. He divided 300 men into three groups, and he gave each man a ram's horn and a, J-clar, J, a clay jar. J-clar. That works too. A clay jar with a torch in it. Then he said to them, keep your eyes on me and watch when I come to the edge of the camp and do just as I do. As soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horn, blow your horns too, and the entire camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So what happens is he takes these 300 people and divides them into camps of 300. He goes, these guys horns, these guys jars, and these guys torches, right? It was just after midnight, 
and the changing of the guard when Gideon and the hundred men that reached him reached the end of the Midianite camp. Suddenly they blew the ram's horn and broke their clay jars. And when the three groups blew the horn and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and their horns in their right hand. And they all shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And each man stood up at his position around the camp and watched as the Midianites rushed around in panic, shouting as they ran to escape. And when the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other. He threw them into confusion. They didn't have to draw a sword to win the battle. They did draw some swords, but they never had to fight like they thought they would have to fight. The Lord did it. The Lord confused their enemy. Those who were not killed fled to places far away. Um, We've got to be willing. We've got to be willing to trust God. We've got to be willing to obey God. In spite of our insecurities, in spite of our fears, we just need willingness. This is what the Lord needs more than anything in your life. He needs willingness. He needs willingness for the unconventional, for the ridiculous. That's ridiculous, Gideon. They, they didn't argue. They just fell in line. In the midst of the mundane, in the midst of miserable Mondays, God wants willingness. He just wants willingness. Willingness.